0: Ladies and gentlemen, Rosterwatch Nation, welcome back to episode 13 of the Rosterwatch podcast, brought to you by Rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap, here with Byron Lambert, and before we get started with anything, we're going to tell you about that kind of humming you hear in the background, the background noise, the sound, the sweet sound of the road. That's your boys in Rosterwatch, recording the only podcast this maniacal uh, on a trip from what, College Station, Texas, to... Lubbock, Texas, where we will be taking in the Pro Day of one Patrick Mahomes tomorrow. This was the only time that we were going to get to set aside this week. We know a lot of you guys have been asking on Twitter when the second podcast was coming, so... Here it is. This is it. Uh, Before we get started, as always, a reminder, if you like the podcast, if you want to support us, please give the podcast a five-star rating in iTunes. Give us a good review in iTunes. Make sure to give us a thumbs-up on Stitcher. Our work here at Rosterwatch can be found at rosterwatch.com with a pro membership. You can unlock all of our tools. We're going to have some surprise guests on during the radio show, and by surprise guests, I mean literal surprise guests who we're going to call out of Byron's phone and hopefully talk with over the Bluetooth here uh, inside the cabin of the phone. One of them will hopefully be Mike Band, who will have a new Pro Tool up at Roster Watch, I think as soon as the next day or two, that you'll be able to watch this weekend. Also, all the Deontay Foreman Pro Day video up at Roster Watch there in the Pro Day Tour library. Soon we will have all the Texas A&M videos there. You can have it all with a pro membership at rosterwatch.com. It costs less than a cheap cup of coffee. With that being said, Byron, what do you think of the drive so far?
1: Yeah, by Alex talking about background noise and us doing the podcast on the road, what he means is we are actually doing a podcast live inside the car run right now. <laughs> I have one hand on the wheel, one hand on the microphone. As we're doing work for to Watch Now Nation out Scouting, uh, just left AM Pro Day where we saw Miles Garrett, Josh Reynolds, and Speedy Noyle. And as Alex said, we're on the way to see Patrick Mahomes, who is now being reported has had the most visits with any of any prospect with NFL teams at 18 uh franchises that he's met with their brass uh, privately we've been telling you guys for two years that there were going to be 15 teams in the quarterback market uh in the 2017 offseason and uh, i think that's reflected in the 18 teams that mahomes is interviewed with and i certainly think it indicates that he's going to be a first round pick
0: yeah yeah and well i think Here's the thing. We'll, like we, we were just talking about it here in the car between us, but at what point do we begin to start thinking that maybe some of these teams that are quarterback needy, they're going to have to take a, <laughs> eventually they're going to have to think about taking a quarterback in the first round and it's all going to come back around to that. And when they do get taken in the first round, everybody's going to say, well, why do we not see that coming? How do we not see it coming that they took a quarterback in the first round? Because everybody does it every year. You need to to draft these guys. You you know, if you're a team in need, you look around and you see the others that have taken chances, some that have panned out, some that haven't. But rest assured that you're not going to get your quarterback situation fixed if you don't try, and you're going to have to invest draft capital to get that done when it's the most important position on the football field uh, again here it's it's Alex Dunlap here with Byron Lambert on the Roster Watch podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com a little bit of a different form of podcast today than usual clearly we don't have our computers and our reference materials in front of us for all the fantasy stuff for everybody who's asking about the MFL tens cheat sheet though I'll tell you that that thing is basically uh, it's It's been on a slow bake in the oven. It is basically cooked and ready to come out for version one. We're going to have to make a small adjustment for Martavis Bryant. Uh, as soon as that gets done, probably tonight, uh, on Thursday night or Friday, I think that's something that will be rolled out with all the other new Pro Tools over the weekend. Speaking of Martavis, uh, Byron, any thoughts on, on, that, on that situation? I know that... Uh, you know, coming out of the combine, when we talked to Kevin Colbert about Martavis, he seemed a little bit lukewarm about the guy, and made us be a little bit lukewarm about our previous recommendation on this podcast that Martavis Bryant and Dynasty was the absolute nuts pickup uh, through the through the beginning part of, uh, you know, I guess the Dynasty um, the Dynasty beginning of the Dynasty trade season. Where are we now on Martavis? Fully back on board, fully still go out and you know go out and get the guy or you know still a little bit cautious. Where are we on this?
1: I think as usual, we've come full circle and ultimately we were one step ahead, maybe three steps ahead of everybody else just a few months ago when we were imploring the nation, the roster watch nation to go mine themselves some Martavis Bryant for cheap in their dynasty leagues. And we said, I don't care what Kevin Colbert tells us that in our, the writing on the wall is that that offense is not the same with Martavis Bryant. So hopefully, our various users read the tea leaves, stuck with the original device, or maybe just held still. I'd still go after him. I mean, how much? If you're a Martavis owner, maybe you're an unsuspecting Martavis owner, and you all of a sudden now much asking for a lot more for him. If somebody's trying to trade you for him,
0: I mean the price has gone up a little bit. It certainly has. Well, this what? is
1: why that was great, such great advice, two or three months ago when nobody was even considering this.
0: The worm continues to turn for a lot of our predictions. We told you at the in the last podcast that there would be some that would continue to come home to roost. These items continue coming home to roost uh we'll get to some of those news and notes if you want to get to him byron otherwise we can talk about uh texas a&m pro day i mean that's probably something that we should break down we just kind of came from it the guys who we were there to watch as byron mentioned earlier of course all eyes on miles garrett we had our we were kind of a weird angle for the 40s so i didn't really try <laughs> i didn't trust byron's uh times too much it turns out as these unofficial times come out from the scouts we had them basically dead on the whole time. Miles Garrett, unofficially a 4.61, he improves from a 4.64 four at the combine. He elected after that to not do any more of his drills. He said, Peace out. I'm going over to this media scrum. I am done working out for uh, NFL teams unless they invite me in to their campus. Even at that point, I don't think that Miles Garrett is working out anymore. He's just probably taking visits.
1: No, and I told you those times were good. Speedy no- <laughs> Speedy Noel, basically speaking was of times, a I,
0: pair of speaking of times that I didn't believe should and, have. And, and, well, here's the thing. Well, we here's the thing. I just I, I I like to be right on the forty because I feel like your mind can play tricks on you with the angles, and so we were having to get to a spot due to where the A and M just basically where the A and M athletic. Uh, the, I guess the sports information department, where they have the media, you know, all the scouts want to be on the 42, and so there's the big, you know, just a, a big you usually have an obstructive view.
1: The way this works is that when they there's line no the way coast. at
0: the a there's no way at the A&M setup to where you can get up above them, see over them. So you had to you had to either get in front or behind them. When you get in front of them, it just seems like it sometimes leads to faster hand times. That being said, the ones that we continued to get back all basically matched up with what Byron's clock was 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 reading. So, uh, Miles Garrett, I'm going to just go ahead and say I'm considering him a 4 6 1 guy, which is absolutely freaky. Uh, you know, the Cleveland Brown there wasn't any sort of Sashi Brown or or Hugh Jackson or any of those guys there in attendance. I'm not sure why they would need to be the 3 GMs in attendance along with representatives from all 32 teams, 54 league personnel in total. Per the Texas A&M sports information department, the three GMs, uh, Chris Greer from the um, from the uh, Dolphins. It was uh, Pace Ryan Pace from the Bears, and it was John Lynch from the 49ers. John Lynch, maybe getting an eye on Miles Garrett in case in case the Cleveland Browns decide to do something swindly there at pick one. Um, you know. What do you think? You know, any any takeaways from Miles Garrett? Was that just basically what you thought you were going to see? You know, any any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's I was surprised that I was surprised I didn't see the Cleveland Browns media there. Did you see the Cleveland brass there? No. They don't care. They don't, they don't care. They don't need to be there. They
0: don't need to be there. John S- Lynch was in the, was Brown- there
1: in the off chance. Sashi
0: Brown sitting in the basement pe- pecking away at a calculator.
1: Yeah, I thought it was strange that they had no representatives there, but I, I guess they're in a position they where they don't really there. need to. What well, are they
0: in the catbird seat? Yeah, I think I don't. I or is don't that know. are they in the eagle's nest? Seems like the eagle trumps the catbird. I don't even know what a catbird is. Hey, well,
1: speaking of, for those listeners of Roster Watch Nation who maybe aren't from texas or aren't going to go to the, do the work to go to the computer and here look at the here we
0: go comanche county entering it right now you guys can you guys can look at a map and see right where we are let's see how these roads turn into why don't you are these smoother roads in comanche explain county? to them what the drive
1: from college station to lubbock texas entails i mean hell i don't know how we were just at a stoplight in traffic in middle of the nowhere middle of nowhere texas in a downtown that looked like it was from the 1820s <laughs> yeah
0: No. Well, we just
1: went through an area of Texas that, like I said, if if you could bottle it and sell it, it was a real piece of Texas. Maybe one of the most beautiful places in Texas that I've ever seen. And we've lived here our whole lives. Yeah, it's
0: the area just as you're going out of, kind of getting out of central Texas and just, I guess, north and west of Waco, where you sort of get the north... It feels like it's like the northern end of the of the Texas hill country, which is some of the most beautiful country in, in the world. A lot of the western side of the city of Austin, a lot of the pretty photographs you see of Austin is where the hill country encroaches in, into into Austin and, and areas going west from there. Going north and west from that area, uh, the hill country continues, but starts to kind of dwindle out a little bit, uh, kind of here where we are. But you get little tastes of the hill country, you get tastes of the, you know, of the the kind of the cattle ranching, uh, fertile green rolling hills that sort of come out of that here in this part of the world by uh, Waco, coming up to up by the Brazos River. But then, as you continue to move west, the the scenery come, it's becoming even as we look at it more shrubs, uh, a little more rocky. Soon, by, actually by the time the poc- this podcast is over, we're going to be into uh, very arid, uh, you know, almost desert-like terrain. Um, but, yeah, right now it's... it's. Uh, I mean,
1: within a matter of minutes, we just went from a whole bunch of trees to you can tell the trees were already getting smaller and just a little bit uh, less dense out here. But this is a, this is a drive across the state. For a lot of our listeners from places like the Northeast, if we told them they were going to be on a seven-hour drive, they'd tell you they're going to go through, like, six states. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, yeah, yeah. Like, seven hours will get you from, like, you know, Chicago, Illinois, probably all the way to Cleveland or something, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, but so anyway, I think the most important news for roster watch nation, or the most important guy we had our eye on, was the wide receiver Josh Reynolds. Uh, of course, we'd gotten to see him at the Senior Bowl. At the Senior Bowl, Josh Reynolds was a player who the Trash Man loved, and who through the process we began to think that the Trash Man might have swindled all of us by. You know, seeing something super early in the kid because he said when he first watched his tape he'd gotten sick on uh, on Josh Reynolds even during the football season when he had seen Texas A&M play because he had reminded him of the spitting image of Mike Evans. Josh Reynolds draws a whole lot of Mike Evans comparisons. First of all, let's address that. Um, Byron, my opinion of the Mike Evans comparisons to Josh Reynolds are just that they came from the same school and they were both pretty prolific pass catchers. Uh, they came right after one another. I think Josh Reynolds is much skinnier. I don't think he's as beastly, and I don't think he's as fast.
1: Yeah, like I'm thinking if you took Mike Evans and cut him in half, <laughs> yeah. that would be Josh Reynolds. I think the comparison's mainly the offense and this, the colors of the uniform. Uh, you know, I do think these are guys that are four or five guys who can extend with a big ca- catch radius. So I think that comparison is legitimate. I think Mike Evans is an even more natural receiver, a much beastlier man, and has you know I want to say he's more sure-handed. We've been to both, been to both pro days, and Mike Evans had one of the most natural. He just looked, it looked so easy. He didn't break a sweat. There wasn't a beat of sweat on his brow at that pro day. Everything he did was easy, and he caught the ball you know with vice grips. We have seen some drops in the NFL. I, I want to say I believe he's more sure-handed than a Josh Reynolds. Who you said you tallied four drops on all balls that hit his hands?
0: Yes, it was too many drops. And the thing was, it was the same thing. A couple of them would have been tough catches. Two of them would have been very tough. Two of them wouldn't have been. And it, but it was the same thing. And on the very last one on the on the post corner fade, what 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 sucked the worst is oh uh, look at this. We're starting to see our first big uh, big kind of patch stretches of cactus. of cactus. So yeah, we are getting farther and farther It happens west. out of nowhere. Literally 100 started. yards
1: ago, Soon, we had driven for miles yeah. and there wasn't a single cactus and all of a sudden there's a huge briar patch of cactus.
0: Soon there will be, you know, there will be tumbleweeds like, coming it's across the road. Is a briar patch
1: a patch of briars? So can it be a briar patch of cactus?
0: I think that, I don't think there's such a thing as a briar patch of cactus. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Josh Reynolds uh, I, I think that one thing that will probably just need to file away is that the same. I think maybe he's got to kind of get going and get into stuff because this is the same way he started the Senior Bowl with a bunch of drops, and the trash man said, you know, let's just keep an eye on him. I, I kind of wrote him off early in the Senior Bowl because of those bad drops on day one, and also the fact that he, he, he wasn't separating well when when he when he wasn't in pads. That being said, through the course of the week, he he, he won you know, one-on-one, incontested matchups. Over and over again, uh, going up for jump balls, going up for contested balls, uh, making plays on balls, looking like one of these kind of power forward turn wide receivers, much in the, I think if there's anything that you're going to compare to a Mike Evans, you compare him in in that way well, to be able to separate with a little bit of feast, beastly physicality and box out.
1: And wouldn't you say by the end of the week when we had to formulate our all senior bowl roster that
0: it was tough between him and Josh Tay-1 Reynolds Taylor.
1: was mer- very much in the mix yes. at that number three spot between Himself, Taewon Taylor, and in my opinion, Ryan Switzer. I think we all looked back after that and said, oh, maybe we should have just listened to the trash man and, and, and snuck Reynolds, with Reynolds in there.
0: With that being I said, like with those other sta- two players. And I still love Taewon Taylor. With that being said, I admit we should have had Josh Reynolds on the all-senior bowl roster over Taylor because as I've done more work, I now have Josh Reynolds ranked one to two spots ahead of Taylor uh, in, in, in my wide receiver ranking. So ultimately, yes, the trash man was right about that. With that being said... I didn't see it as being the best pro day. I just, I didn't see that as being the best pro day. I we, Oh, I, I guess we buried the lead, which was well, what the one, uh, coming into a speed zone here, small, small town. Um, the, uh, the, the 40 time, it was a four-five. What at the combine? Four-five-seven. Four-five-five
1: five at the combine, I believe. Maybe it was four-five-seven. So
0: he improved that thing to four-five or sub four-five. It
1: was four-five-five five at the combine, and the questions with Reynolds have always been around speed. So
0: for him speed's to come speed's fine. In, he he, he reeled off
1: a pair of solid four-fives today, and there's a chance.
0: Sub he four or five, four it's, or five it's, it's, which is it's, big for him. It, we saw we saw on some clocks is you know we saw some we saw a four four seven we saw a four four nine on the first attempt. So uh, I think four or five is probably a, a good number to settle on for what he is and, and how we'll move forward with him evaluation wise. Four or five how clearly. Is there a pine tree out here? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, clearly, you know uh, that'll be that'll be just fine. Uh, as far as anybody else, anybody else stick out to you? Yeah,
1: Speedy Noyle had a great day. You know, I have a good friend who's a big A&M alumnus and close observer of their football program. Before we went to the Combine, he sent me a text, and he said, hey, man, Speedy Noil's about to blow this place up, keep an eye out for him. He didn't run the 40 at the Combine, and I think everything else was good, but it didn't make headlines. So we were interested to see today, and Noel, I'll tell you, I thought he had, I thought he did himself a, a a favor today. I mean, he ran a solid pair of four fours, in maybe sub four four, you know, low four fours. He caught the ball very, very well. He looked fast. He didn't, you know, he was catching it away from his body with his hands. He wasn't having drops. Um, seemed to understand, you know. All the concepts very, very well. Um, so I was impressed with Speedy Noel today. And he I
0: blazed his forty. Yeah,
1: he blazed his forty. Is, four that's what four you wanted zero, to see possibly sub
0: four four zero. I mean, he was fast. So, I mean, fast, I started fast. instantly
1: thinking of the trash man. That if the trash man was there today, and hell, he might think this anyways, or just if we tell him, he might just take it to heart, to his rotten black heart. That he, I was thinking, if I was the trash man after seeing this today, that if you told me in a year or two there's some game where speedy Noyle is forced into some kind of bunch of action you know i i can already hear the trash man in my head saying oh yeah i would definitely get him in like he'd be sending us him as in his suggestions of dfs players and garbage grab players of the week saying he certainly expects a, a big play out of him in this game and we
0: look at him and say trash man, you're garbage and then it and then it would But these were end. the
1: thoughts that were going through my head when I was watching Speedy Noel today and and just the realization that I continue to become more and more of a trash man.
0: All right, so it just to remind everybody and just let them know, you we're saying when the trash man sees this, you can see it too with a pro membership at rosterwatch.com. All of our pro day tour stuff that we've done going back to I don't even, going back to the Robert Griffin III, you know, pro days, and like, Ryan Tannehill, and all these, like, uh, Devontae Freeman, Odell Beckham, Teddy Bridgewater—you know the viral Teddy Bridgewater content. Like all of it, you can find at RosterWatch.com with a pro membership in the raw video library. Every single rep that every single one of these guys did, we have usually a couple angles from. You can just go through the the you know the raw content and watch it like it's your own personal library. You have complete access to it with a pro membership at RosterWatch.com. Uh, anything else on the Texas a and Pro Day? Uh, any thoughts about the town of College Station, its uh, fast, casual dining options, and or beer-drinking establishments? Yeah, I mean, it's very, very— Ricky Seals-Jones first. Are you a little intrigued by him? Ricky Seals-Jones is the end. tight end, H-back kind of player that played he's a little not bit He's the of... most
1: natural catcher of the football, but if he's going to be at tight end, he moves well and catches well for a tight end. He's got I some real big hands I thought it was weird that Trevor Knight.
0: The quarterback. You know, well,
1: yeah, he wasn't really instructing the other players, the other receivers, very much. But he every seemed like every time it was Seals-Jones' turn, he'd always say, you going to come through for me, Seals? <laughs> Don't fuck you up, gotta Seals. Get, you got to make this catch. <laughs> like, he was always just, try, <laughs> I, in some ways, I guess trying to encourage him. But yeah. I just couldn't understand, almost like. He's a little worried, you know.
0: Yeah, and they say Speedy noil is the one that's supposed to be the supposed to be the the uh, the head case. So maybe there's a little bit of that with RJ. This RSJ looks like a too. grove
1: of pecan trees right here. Yep,
0: yeah, look at them They're just
1: blooming. To, always the last to trees to again. to
0: uh, I don't know if it's bloom, but always the last trees to have their leaves come back. Boy, in the spring man, and the pecans. Ju- yeah, it's just gross too. In the years where they get fertilized, man, they just drop those nasty caterpillar-looking boogers on you, man. Get them all over your car. Just dusty, sneezy stuff, but. Hey, you love having the pecans in your front and backyard to pick for uh, fresh fresh uh, nuts. Um, any thoughts, like I was saying, Town of College Station?
1: Oh, yeah. So it's a burgeoning town. Uh, it is definitely a king of casual dining, but it's very much like a Houston or a Dallas in that way. If you're from Houston or Dallas, you've been to those areas, you know that there are just chain such commercially developed You know, concrete jungles. That it's a, it's a Chili's, it's a Cheddars, it's a Red Robin, it's a Red Lobster, whatever you can think on every corner of everything. And you know, so you coming from a town like Austin where you expect to get all kinds of maybe local eateries. You go to College Station, there doesn't even seem like there's one of those to choose from. You ask people around there, where's a good place to go eat? Nobody has an answer for you. And you know, before you know it, they're telling you just, hey, go down the street to Cheddars. So we did. It was pretty darn good for what it was. But here's the takeaway. Kyle Field is amazing. I hate to say it as a longhorn. I hate to give <laughs> any credit to Aggie. Uh, but you have to respect him for Kyle Field. That's an amazing facility. We're actually told by our Uber driver today, who was a real, real Aggie homer and a close observer he of can, the football he can, program. He
0: couldn't be that close observer of the football program if he was asking us if we were recruits. <laughs> Come on, now.
1: well, he asked us where we were headed, and we told him to do the practice f- yeah. facility, you and you he said, recruits? "Oh, what are you guys in town for? Are you guys are recruits yeah
0: like the first the, the, like the first mid thirties recruiting I ever Alex
1: we're taking I guess we're taking all right care of ourselves <laughs> uh so the interesting thing was we were telling him how badass Kyle field was. I mean that place is a monster. it is a monster monster. We told him the only place we've been to a lot of stadiums, the only place we can really think that's like it is what Bryant Denny, is that what it's called?
0: In Alabama, whatever that is. Yeah. Which
1: is an unbelievable stadium. It looks like that, but it just looks like it's been updated. Denny, the one in Alabama, looks old. And the thing at Kyle Field is, though, you know, that's a bunch of pasture out there. So that thing just stands out like it looks like the seventh one of the world just come rising out of nowhere, whereas when you're in Tuscaloosa, the stadium is surrounded by all the student housing, which is very cool in its own way. It's a little more, a uh, little less maybe, um, I don't know. what. To, it's a little more obstructed of a view maybe, but it's amazing there too. So the, the Uber driver tells us though that of all, he's been to every stadium in the SEC. And he said there's no question, sign, seal, and deliver it, that Rocky Top at Tennessee is absolutely not only the best stadium in the SEC, but the absolute best college football experience in the SEC. It
0: comes from an Aggie homer and you know how how crazy they are about saying that they have the best experience. They do all the weird dances. They have the milkmen who are the the male cheerleaders. Can't
1: walk on the grass on yeah, campus. Yeah, they, they,
0: have, they have the dogs that they have the pet cemetery for there that they have the special scoreboard for that shows the shows the score of the games. <laughs> so they clearly have their own uh, traditions. This guy was saying is a huge fan. He loves the experience at Tennessee. We will have to get out there soon enough. It's Byron Lambert. It's Alex Dunlap. This is the Roster Watch Podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. We move on now to our surprise guests. Here we go. We're trying to get Mike Band. Hello? Band, yo, Band, what's going on, brother? What's going on, guys? Oh, just chilling. All right. So it, it, it wasn't quite as big a surprise as we hoped for Band because we called him and his phone went out. Uh, so Band knows the tricks we're up to now. He knows he's being called for the podcast. So Mike, let's just get. Let's just I get, think it's our phone that went out. It could have been. yo, oh, yeah. It, I mean, we're driving cross
1: state, doing a podcast <laughs> Man, in
0: the we car. Are, right, we now. are in the middle of the like desert, going out to Texas Tech. This is like the one area we're going to have some reception. So, um, just wanted – You sent a text earlier. We have some pro content coming out like this weekend. Tell tell Roster Watch Nation about what it is. Some of the you know some of the content that we'll have that you're spearheading right now. Yeah. So coming out this
2: weekend or Monday morning or whatever it might be. <laughs> it will be a release of the of basically a preparation of the uh, for the draft. It's going to be a breakdown of all of all the teams, all their team needs. Uh, we're going to come out with an NFL team needs tool, which will basically be a matrix of of uh, who the teams are going to go after. Then we've also got an interest tracker going uh, from all the reports across the web. We are trying to figure out who these teams are homing in on uh, from a, from a interest standpoint. And it can be used, you know, to make your own mock drafts, whatever it might be. But really, these tools are just to get, give us, you know, a nice look at what these teams might be doing. Um, and additionally, I, I, I sent you guys my top ten of my mock drafts. Uh, really, it's, it's, it's about figuring out what happens in that top part uh, before you can really get, to, you know, start digging deep into the later part. But really, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting draft. And, Glad I can
0: release this content, and we can start getting into uh, projecting what's going to happen. He's, he's, he's our analytics director. Our analytics director at RosterWatch.com, Mike Band, and uh, he's here on the phone with us as we travel westward for RosterWatch Nation on our maniacal offseason travails go to go see Patrick Mahomes as long as we got band on the phone as long as we got reception Mike let's go over the let's go over this uh, top 10 on this mock this this initial skeleton of the top 10 and just kind of talk it over I think we all agree we were just at Miles Garrett's uh pro day today uh that kid's a freak he's a beast I, I just you see any any real way that Cleveland could could pass on him. I mean, we of course haven't penciled in there. How 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 sure are you that? Is it like a one hundred percent for you?
2: Yeah, it's got to be one hundred percent. And the reason is there isn't a quarterback that's there at one. Uh, my, it's Miles Garrett over everyone. He's the true edge rusher that that uh, you can build a defense around. And I think you know, based off of the Browns' philosophy, if you don't have that elite quarterback, you've got to have an elite defense. And I think that's going to be the you know a big step into building that defense.
1: So you think John Lynch was there just purely out of due diligence on the off chance that the Cleveland Browns do something stupid? And who could possibly imagine that?
2: A hundred percent, that's exactly what he's doing. He's doing his due diligence. Uh, it, you know, the, the Cleveland contingency, they'll work out Miles Garrett on their own, um, so really from, from getting the information, I think San Francisco knows that Garrett will go one, but obviously he's got to do it. Um, I do think that it, you know, that plays into especially makes it tougher on the on the 49ers, really, because there isn't necessarily a sure bet at number two. Uh, so Lynch has to, you know, exhaust all possibilities and then even look into trading down. So again, they've got so many options they can go with, with so many needs on that team that John Lynch has to do almost everything as far as due diligence is concerned.
1: Well, Mike, you're a money ball guy. You always have been. You're an analytics guy. What, you know, that almost always entails um, uh, you're increasing your draft capital. And right. I find it curious that Hugh Jackson has now come out, you know, and the reason we bring this up is that the Cleveland Browns' new front office is very analytics heavy. Uh, they're considered kind of money ballers of the NFL now and he's come out and declared that that first-round pick is not available and they're standing pat and they're definitely going to make that selection. From a Moneyball perspective, does that, does that fit in with that philosophy?
2: So it's, it's interesting because it really depends on, on the player that's there, the draft class that you're in. So this year, Miles Garrett is by far and away the best player in this draft, and it has to do with the value of the position and their lack of, a, of their quarterback being available at number one. Now, here's the difference. What I think he's saying is that he doesn't want to trade this number one overall pick. This might be a message to the New England Patriots as far as the Garoppolo deal. I think Cleveland will, will gladly trade 12 and everything else, as well as a potential next year's pick for Garoppolo. And I think this is just a message that they're not going to give up one for him but, because they want to get Garrett and Garoppolo. And they'd be good with the rest of their contingency of draft picks. And really, this whole point of the whole point of Moneyball is, we still got to fill out your roster with star talent. Is that sixty million in cap space they can afford to take on a you know a fourteen million dollar edge rusher three years from now? So that's really the point. If, if there's not a quarterback there, there's got to be an edge rusher, or or potentially an offensive tackle if you desperately need a left tackle. Um, but otherwise Stan Pat take the best player like a Miles Garrett, who I think is far and away who who has that gap between the Solomon Thomas and Jonathan Allen as as the next pass rushers in the draft.
0: All right, so all right, so speaking of Solomon Thomas and for one thing, roster watch nation getting sick, we're Things coming home to roost, as we predicted, as always. Mike Band is feeling like it, too. We said in the last podcast that there were going to be some things we talked about that are going to come true before the next podcast. A shot across the bow from the Cleveland Browns letting them know exactly that for the first pick in the draft is not going to be available, and things all pointing back to pick 12 for the possibilities of Jimmy Garoppolo. It was all too predictable all along. Um, all right, so man, moving on to the 49ers and speaking of Solomon Thomas, that's where you have him him going. To be completely honest, man, with all the work I've done on the running backs and the wide receivers, the tight ends, and the quarterbacks for this draft for Roster Watch Nation, I have not done as much work on the edge rushers. I've maybe watched two games of Solomon Thomas. He seems like an absolute freak. There have been people that we've talked to within the scouting department of one NFC East team that says he's better than Jonathan Allen who Mike Mayock says is a guy who should be considered at the very top up there with Miles Garrett. What is it that you saw in Solomon Thomas and and you know his fit with the 49ers? Is that just based on the interest tracker that we're going to have at Roster Watch? Is that based on your intuition and your scouting? What is it with Solomon Thomas and the San Francisco 49ers? Yeah, so first we'll start with the San
2: Francisco 49ers and digging deep into their numbers. And here's the biggest catch. Both of their Outside edge players Ahmad Brooks and Aaron Lynch are both free agents next season. You, they just invested two straight first-round picks in, in uh, DeForest Buckner and Toronto in, uh, in and in Eric Armstead. And really, th- what they're missing is that edge, th- that speed rusher on the edge. And now Solomon Thomas really is that versatile guy. He's able to play multiple positions. He plays outside. He plays inside. And that ability to be versatile and be multiple is something that I know that San Francisco is going to covet. Uh, really, he is not a traditional 3-4 stand-up guy, but I think he could do it. And really, since all of since most schemes these days are really playing their base front as nickel thugs. Solomon Thomas is really just going to be a base left end next to two mammoths inside. And really, be a key cog in terms in terms of turning that poor defense around. Now, when you compare Solomon Thomas to Jonathan Allen, that's when you're dealing with more of a five tech Jonathan Allen, who I think fits a little bit more inside uh, as that three tech that can get up the field um, in that type of scheme. Maybe even a five tech in their scheme. Um, but really, that's what they that's what they've just invested in those two guys up front. Really, I could see them playing a two uh, you know a, a two four nickel scheme where those two guys on the outside are standing up and the two guys inside are down. And I think that's scary with a guy like Solomon Thomas on the edge. Hey, Mike, let me
1: flip this thing upside down for a second. Are you saying that you're expecting the 49ers to draft a defensive lineman with a top 10 pick in three consecutive years?
2: I am saying that, and, I, and it and it plays to the way that you build a team. If you don't have a quarterback, you've got to win in the trenches, and you've got to start on both sides of the football. The Jets are the Jets. Tried to do it with Sheldon Richardson, Wilkerson, investing in uh, in uh, uh, Williams the next year from USC. Really, it's it's all about investing in the pass rush, and John Lynch knows that. I don't shoe is way too high for a safety. Um, unless they fall in love with, with, uh, uh, with Lattimore from Ohio State, I think you've got to go pass rusher if you're not going to take a quarterback. And again, since we're, since we're saying that they're going to take a third straight defensive lineman, then trading out of the pick is certainly possible. But there's no one up there that's going to generate the, the value that you normally see with trading out of the top two picks.
1: Well, and if you look at what's happened with the Jets, I think you can already predict that potentially happening for the 49ers over the next uh, course of the next year or two, especially with a transition on defense. What is it that the Jets have found out? You can't afford to pay all three defensive linemen. And especially when you're changing schemes, eventually one of those guys becomes expendable and you're looking to trade them, like the Jets have been trying to do with Sheldon Richardson do you think John, all of this do, time. Do, do, and I do think, think John the four-
0: Lynch, a first-year GM, is going to be thinking about this with that kind of nuance? Is- I hope that he is. I think <laughs> I what's so.
1: eventually going to happen is either Buckner, who was the one the year before that? Was it Armstead? Armstead. One of those guys is eventually going to be available via trade. If they pull the trigger on this, but I think Mike's right. I can see. I I think this makes total sense for the 49ers as long as they have an understanding of that.
0: All right. So up next, uh, Mike had mentioned Marshawn Lattimore, the corner from Ohio State. He's a guy who analysts like Mayock and some of the scouts who we talk to say is just an absolutely rare talent. I got to see him on tape versus. Um, I think versus the Michigan wide receivers, Amara Darbro and Je- and Jehu Chesson, and you could see what he was able to do against those guys. It was very little of the time that Amara Darbo ever got the best out of got, got the best of Marshawn Lattimore. And Amara Darbo is a wide receiver who the Trash Man and some in draft circles uh, really really love. Uh, we clearly know that the need is there in the secondary for the uh, Chicago Bears. Mike, was this one just too easy? I think it makes too much sense.
2: Yeah, exactly. And here's here's a message to anyone who's making a mock draft and, and giving a safety like Jamal Adams or, or Malik Hooker to Chicago. There's never been a safety in the last twenty five plus years selected with the top four draft picks. They they gave Quentin Demps a a, uh, a two year contract to start at safety next to Amos next to Adrian Amos. On the outside, they have adamantly said that they cannot trust Kyle Fuller. All those signs point to them needing a corner, not a safety. You can invest that high a pick into a safety. You can find them in the second and third rounds. And in that case, if they do address the secondary after really addressing the quarterback with two bullets, with Glennon and Sanchez, I think no doubt that they're going to go after Lattimore. Now, they, here's, here's another, another point. If they don't go secondary and they look to beef up the defensive line, because it's a position of need. Jonathan Allen, who, uh, spoiler alert, I do have going to Jacksonville with the next pick. I think Chicago might be worried about Jonathan Allen's injury history, and I believe that he's got injury uh, X uh, alerts on some teams' draft boards. If you look at Jacksonville, they're a team that, can, that is willing to take that injury risk. I don't think Chicago can afford to. Their entire team was decimated with injuries last year. I think, from the standpoint of State and sureness in addressing their number one need, it's Marshawn Lattimore. Even though teams might have Jonathan Allen rated as a better player.
1: Mike, you live up there in Chicago. What do you think the chances are the Bears trade this pick?
2: They're certainly going to try.
0: Um, is I, there you know, even interest? Expect- I mean, is, is, it, is it if we got to the point where there could be? commiserate interest with a guy who could have fallen i mean who knows maybe somebody has uh, one of these dudes super high up on their draft boards and they say you know enough's enough we can't let a you know we can't let a jonathan allen fall to five or we can't let who knows a solomon thomas you you know you you name him whoever falls fall, fall to five is that a spot of, of intrigue is that a spot that you think where value does exist we know that you're basically the king of of, of doing these studies, these analytic studies on the absolute value of, of each pick in the draft, in your opinion, and in your evaluation of the talent, will be falling there. Is the value commensurate for for a team to possibly want to want to trade up for one of those guys at, at that time?
2: Yes. Yeah, so the answer really is no. If it's not for a quarterback, most teams won't do it. They're, you're not going to get nearly the same amount of value that you would expect in uh, from the market. And in that case. You're not, you know. There's rumors that Carolina could move up to this to the spot to trade up ahead of Jacksonville to take Fournette. Well, I think that's everybody thinking short-sighted and thinking about Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, really, I don't see a team trading up to two or three to have to get Fournette. When one, you're already in, uh, investing in a top contract, a top running back contract, and two, you're investing in a lot more assets compared to what the market value and the perceived value of the picks that's going to happen. So realistically, if, if you're not trading up for a quarterback, I don't think you make a trade up into the top four picks because it doesn't make cap sense.
0: Okay. So basically, so it, in in Mike's explanation of the pick three, he got into pick four with with Jacksonville, which takes us to pick five for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, we have for now, Mike, in this initial mock. Top 10, where we're just trying to put the basis together of a good top 10 because we know you can't have a good first round mock without a good uh, top 10 first to, to set your foundation. We're going with the homeboy, Derek Barnett, the edge rusher out of Tennessee, a guy who, you know, some people on draft Twitter are starting to say if you look at what Derek Barnett did against common opponents in the SEC as far as these tackles a guy who actually had better production against better quality uh, offensive tackles than Garrett Thomas than, uh, than uh, Miles Garrett did uh, what is it that you see that could be a good fit for the for the Tennessee Titans besides the obvious you know uh, home hometown narrative
2: yeah so if, if you're thinking with Tennessee you've got John Robinson there coming over there from New England and so he's going to be a value based guy and he's going to be thinking, if I'm sitting at five, I need the top corner. And if he's not there, I'm going to be thinking pass rusher. And in that case, Derek Barnett fits the bill of what he looks for a high effort, a production guy, a four year starter. He's a senior, true, you know, an edge speed pass rusher. And that's really what a lot of teams know. It's either, again, I'll say this again. It's either the quarterback, it's the pass rusher, it's the guy who can, who can cover. And those are what you value at the top of the draft, and it's going to happen more and more. What what I expect to see here with Derek Barnett is that he's going to be that third pass rusher for a year, very similar to what a lot of other teams have done in the past behind Derek Morgan and Brian Arakbo. I don't think one of those guys is going to be on the team beyond next season. In that case, Derek Barnett really will... Potentially take that D forward role in, in Kansas City, and that's the type of player you expect to see—a guy who can rush the passer, stand up. He, he worked well uh, in drills and, and uh, at uh, at his pro day. Really, the whole point of this is that you've got a guy who you're going to groom to be your third pass rusher, and then be your speed pass rusher in year two.
0: Mike, is just a just a quick question, like. You don't have Derek Barnett's measurables pulled up, do you? Like is I thought he's a little bit bigger than a, than a D4. Do you think he's that fast? So I can I can
2: uh, pull it up right now.
0: What beautiful country this is out here, Mike. Did you goodness. see that deer blind up on top of the uh, hill well, right there? It looks like the most beautiful place you could ever imagine to shoot a deer with that stream running through. We are seeing Hey, a can side we of the let's country. take a minute to mention that
1: we love the d Ford model.
0: Oh, yeah. For sure.
1: Speaking of running drills well and having a great pro day.
0: You can go to rosterwatch.com with a pro membership. You can find all this stuff that we're talking about right now with Mike Band, uh, the stuff that we'll be rolling out with the interest trackers, team needs tools, our mocks, all that stuff with a pro membership at rosterwatch.com. On top of all that, the pro day video library where we're traveling across Texas right now uh, to bring you the exclusive raw footage of every rep that Patrick Mahomes is going to uh, throw tomorrow, every rep today by all of the A&M guys, uh, all of Deontay Foreman stuff will have every rep that Leonard Fournette does at LSU and more whenever you look at the historical footage going all the way back to 2012. So uh, D. Ford being one of those, and I remember his Auburn Pro Day, boy, that guy just did the deal where he just ripped his shirt off early and often and walked around talking to scouts. Shirtless, because what a statue he looks like. So, Mike, did, did you get Derek Barnett, Barnett's numbers pulled up?
2: I do, and it, it's actually very similar to, to a D4. So he's six two and a half, 259. He did run a 4.88, eight, uh, which was right about average. Um, but, it, you know, his, his uh, vertical jump of 31 and broad jump of 9.8, you know, fairly good but not great for the position. But really, if you compare it to uh, what D4 it is. It's fairly similar um, as far as size and, and everything, and, and basically what he's expected to do. So while Derek Barnett at 5 might seem like a reach, um, you could certainly uh, peg him in as, as simply as a potential edge rusher that you can easily plug and play as a, as a year-one uh, third-down guy. And from, from then on, you might get rid of a Rackville and Morgan uh, in the future.
0: After that, it looks like we go to the New York Jets with a pick I just love. I've said he's a top-ten talent ever since the Senior Bowl. Mike, of course, was there uh, at, the, at the Senior Bowl with us uh, taking part in our groundbreaking uh, st- uh, study with catapult technologies, with the analytic measure- measurements of all the players. One guy that showed up as a, an explosive monster and a beast, not that we even needed the catapult technology to tell us, was O.J. Howard. Uh, the tight end from Alabama to the New York Jets. I think this is just a fantastic fit, a fantastic landing spot. Who knows who the quarterback is going to be there for the New York Jets, but how much better a safety blanket could you imagine him coming up with than an O.J. Howard?
2: Yeah, absolutely. They have to do something as far as getting some playmakers on, on the offensive side of the football. They've got too many needs uh, really so they can go in all different directions with this pick. But as far as what they probably are going to want to do, as far as supporting the, the young quarterback, whoever it might be next season, um, really, it, I think that they're not going to jump on, on the Trubisky Watson Kaiser, uh, uh train this or with this pick just because of what, just because of past failures. And, and I think still a little bit of hope with, with what they've got. Um, but really, O.J. Howard, whoever is their quarterback, will be a, a great support. Uh, simply working all of the seams, can get downfield, and without Brandon Marshall and a, a uh, an injured or returning Eric Decker, I think supporting the passing game is what they have to do. Um, they haven't had a tight end uh, in that city or in that team for, for years, and I think O.J. Howard would be that true Vernon Davis-like specimen.
1: Gotta love not getting on the Watson or Trubisky train because you can ride the Hackenberg bus all day long. <laughs> now, Mike, quickly, why do the Jets pass on Leonard Fournette there? Which it, w- it would make us incredibly happy as future dynasty owners of Leonard Fournette. We do not want him to land in New York. Please tell us why you don't think they'll take
2: him. Yeah. To be honest with you, I think that they're an organization that's going to think cautiously. Um, they're not going to invest a, a, a draft pick in, in, a, uh, in really a, a player. You know, it, It's hard It's hard to defend that they won't go after him, but I think based off of them being okay with the Bilal power and Matt Forte on, on very you know, minor contracts, that it's not a, a position that they're going to covet as much as they want to support the quarterback. The quarterback can't fail. Really, that's and, and they know that a running game isn't going to win in the AFC. And so, in that case, I think that they've got to support the passing game, especially after losing Brandon Marshall and his effectiveness. They've got to find a red zone threat no what, matter what. And, and, and that it's not going to be a, a, a four net that, that it gets in there.
1: That's Mike's very nice way of saying what Alex and I have always told you, and that's that Woody Johnson loves. A pencil-necked stiff
0: front office he does he likes he likes those guys to be the John Idzik accountant type or these McKagan types we know how they are they are pencil pushing nerds okay so um, I love it OJ Howard OJ uh, Howard to the New York Jets after this Not really one of the sweetest sons of Rosterwatch Nation because those are generally receivers or running backs, but certainly one of the closest friends of Rosterwatch, Coach Clay Mack of Quick Twitch, his all-time sweetest son. He has been training this kid since he was in probably eighth grade, Jamal Adams, the safety out of LSU to the Los Angeles Chargers, and all of a sudden you look at that, boy, you look at that uh, defensive backfield, and you have you have you have some stud young players there in the AFC. Well, West. and
1: this is interesting because remember they were supposedly heavily in consideration for Jalen Ramsey last year when they elected for Bosa, which looks like
0: gold. Yeah, right. So, Mike, what is it that you uh, what is it that we're seeing? What is it that we're seeing here? Is it is it having to do with team interest, team fit? Is it having to do with the fact that Jamal Adams just can't fall any farther at this point?
2: Yeah, so um, there is no reported interest on this unless, uh, unless you guys can, can say that a, uh, a Chargers guy was at their pro day. Um, but they did show interest in Malik Hooker, so we know that they're interested in, in the position. And I think that interest in Hooker has a lot to do with Hooker's injury. Um, he, does have a, he does require surgery this summer. And so in that case, I think Jamal Adams is the clear-cut number one safety gonna, that's going to go off the board. I'm just not with the mock drafts that have any of these safeties in the top three or four picks. And in that case, Jamal Adams kind of fits right into a team that doesn't have any glaring immediate need. But at safeties, they definitely miss the lack of Eric Weddle on their back of their defensive uh, from the back of their defense. And I think That's with Julia Dye, Dwight with Julio Dye and Dwight Lowry, those are their two starting safeties last year. And I think they've got they've got some corners on the outside. Their pass rush is, is built up, I think, from the standpoint of getting a signal caller from the back end in the mold of Whitehall, I think would be an ideal pick.
0: No, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world. That's almost one of the ones I feel most, almost most comfortable with so far. It seems everything about that lines up perfectly. Well, and this is
1: our opportunity to uh, conf- to let you know that we will be able to confirm if there are Charger scouts in attendance to Jamal Adams' Pro Day when we are in attendance in Baton Rouge just one week from now, that,
0: that'll be next week. Maybe we'll do another one of these, uh, another one of these <laughs> car podcasts uh, coming back home from from Baton Rouge. If we do in, in, indeed elect to drive, I'm not even sure how how travel schedule for that yet. Um, but all right, so after that, Mike to the Carolina Panthers and drumroll, please, finally off the board. Leonard Fournette, Cam Newton, get them in the backfield together make linebackers shake in their boots. I love it Mike. I mean I, I don't, you, don't, you don't need to explain this fit to me but tell me what you think about it.
2: Yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna temper your uh, segment for one second and I'm a little concerned that this that this won't happen and this is for this reason. Carolina's propensity to play shotgun. Shotgun. I knew you were going to talk
0: about it. And and I. this is the one thing that I worry about too, Mike. So we should at least get it out there as a possible area well, of concern. Hold on. What makes I, think I that Fournette
1: want... can't play shotgun, because he well. told me at the combine that they'd – practiced all schemes including shotgun at LSU and it was something he was very comfortable doing even though it's not
0: a scheme that they employed that often on the field he was I I don't I don't have any empirical data to back it up I just know by, by my eyeballs he did not look anywhere near as effective in shotgun in any settings that I've watched outside of his 2015 spring game, where it seemed like they were trying to add in some shotgun in that, but that was ones versus twos. I saw him in shotgun uh, in other games, and, and all of them basically, except also I think 2015, the Texas Bowl versus Texas Tech, uh, some some big runs out of shotgun on that. I do, I, I do worry about it a little bit, though. You got to think, though, that's something that Gettleman's going to look into if he's going to be taking this draft pick. You know, but um, Mike. So please go on. We didn't mean to n- interrupt there, but certainly an idea and a notion that we have put a lot of thought into as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, um, it does he fit there? Uh, and in that case, you could see Carolina going bold, and and if you want to create that weapon, that if you do stay in eighty percent shock, uh, Christian McCaffrey might be the, uh, you know, a, a more t- multidimensional weapon. In the passing game, so it, it, there's there's a crazy amount of options that these teams can take, and it's going to be based off of what the team scheme is built around. Um, so for a team like, you know, if you if Fournette were to end up in Baltimore, I think that's the most ideal situation, but likely he won't fall to 16. I guess the point is is that you've got to have an offense built to support Fournette at eight. I think it can be done. You know, they they have survived with the Jonathan Stewart, and Mike Tolbert of the world. Um, and Bournette would certainly take a lot of stress off of Cam Newton in short yardage situations. I think that's the number one sell for Gettleman in the draft war room as far as what he can do. Uh, because from the standpoint of protecting Cam, that's certainly going to be a top priority for this team in in, in the way that they build their roster for as long as he's a quarterback.
1: Well, we all know that Dave Gettleman is the ultimate show-me-what-he-can-do guy. I will say it's a good question, though. This is a Cam Newton offense, and you wonder if that's something they would even be considering, be even willing to change for a running back.
0: We get to number Uh, We get to number nine. It's the Cincinnati Bengals. In my opinion, the first sort of surprise, the first big-time curveball that Mike Band has thrown. Maybe it's not. Uh, Maybe this is how things are sort of shaping up. But the second Roster Watch 2017 All-Senior Bowl member to go in the top ten of the 2017 uh, mock draft one here from Mike Band. Hassan Reddick, the edge rusher, defensive end, outside linebacker from temple going to the cincinnati Bengals, this was something that i had pegged to be reuben foster all day long uh reuben foster and the you know Vontez perfect i mean who let the dogs out i could see that be you know it's uh two kind of similar kind of guys mike what is it that you see in hassan uh hassan reddick i mean clearly we've we see the talent in him. We all love what we saw out of Hassan Reddick at the Senior Bowl. Goes on to have the Monster Combine. How do you see him fitting in there with the Cincinnati Bengals?
2: Yeah, so This is a very interesting pick as far as uh, basically comparing a guy who's got a little bit of character issues with a guy like Reddick who's really flawless off the field and got a ton of production. Really I'm all on board with the Ruben Foster train as far as getting a dog out there that can be your mic, that can be your signal caller and add some toughness to that defense. But I think Cincinnati's got to be a little bit smart in the discipline that they play on defense. They're the most penalized team consistently year in and year out. And if you bring in a guy like Ruben Foster, you're going to stay that way. And I think that what you could see in the future is you could see a contract issue with Burkitt and Cincinnati going forward when Burfick demands more money. And in that case, I think that, uh, Cincinnati is going to try to clean the defense up a little bit. I think it's uh, really they're looking for a pass rusher more than they're looking for a Mike linebacker. They had the Ray Malaluga, Vincent Ray, and Burkitt uh, rotation going and, at linebacker, and I think they were okay with that. What I think that they need, though, is that hybrid Sam that can get and rush the passer from a stand-up role. And that's what Hassan Reddick can do. He's going to give you that flamethrower off the edge. Michael Johnson hasn't been able to do it. Carlos Dunlap is is really, you know, their their other formidable pass rusher. But outside of that, they really need support as far as getting to the quarterback, not so much as run or that sort of thing. So I think Hassan Reddick, even though he might be lower on our board compared to Ruben Foster, I think Ruben Foster's off the field is is not just at the Combine, but from a character standpoint, they might pass on.
1: Mike Band, our director of analytics at RosterWatch.com, joining us on the podcast right now as
0: we're on the road. The, the, The first ever guest on the podcast, Mike Band. Of course it had to be 13 episodes in getting our first guest i i love having band on the pod man i'll bet roster watch nation is going to say that we need to get him on more and well he was certainly with us at the senior
1: bowl and all three of us saw that hassan reddick definitely can rush the passer
0: and super fast all right and so probably the most important to us and in and, uh, and to all of roster watch nation for their dynasty leagues at number 10 mike band has mike williams the wide receiver from clemson going to the buffalo bills this was something that while he, while we were at a phone reception and after mike sent me the text uh, with the top 10 that byron and i actually talked a whole lot about and you know even if mike i am not sure that mike williams is going to be my top i'm actually pretty sure he's not going to be my top wide receiver in this class what
1: i tell you my top three was shaping up like though
0: I understand, with the, and Byron's saying that his top three is beginning to shape up more where it could be John Ross at the top. To me, it's a discussion between John Ross and Corey Davis. Byron is saying he believes it could be a discussion between John Ross and Mike Williams. I certainly understand it. Uh, Mike Williams certainly helped himself uh, with, his, with his 40 at Clemson Pro Day. I just think he plays a little bit slower than you would want a top ten a wide receiver to, to, to play. With that being said, he looks like a red zone weapon uh, and a contested pass specialist, more in the mold of a – like we keep saying, you know, like I'm beginning to think more and more. I, I thought at first he reminded me most of Laquan Treadwell. That was my comp, sort of a uh, Laqu- Laquan Treadwell-style player. I'm beginning to think more and more there's a little bit more Michael Thomas to him uh, uh, from from Ohio State, now, of course, with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, you know, his body type is a little bit like that. I think that if you're looking for a compliment to Sammy Watkins, you know, you have Robert Woods, who's now gone. They really don't have anything else there. I think of all the top wideouts, maybe Mike Williams is the best because what are. are Mike, uh, yeah, Mike Williams is the best because what are you gonna do with a John John Ross? You can't just line them both up, Sammy on one side, Ross on the other side, and have them both go vertical, right? It's like Sammy Watkins sort of is is that guy. Mike, what, what is it? How did you come to this decision? How do you see Mike Williams, you know, in comparison to the other wide receivers at the, at the top of this class, and how and what is it that you see as far as his skill set that makes him a good fit in Buffalo? Yes, yeah, sir.
2: Sure. Uh, so based off of who's their coach. So based off of what they expect to do as far as their offensive scheme. Um, what we can expect is that Sammy Watkins is gonna still be that Z receiver. And again, they're a little bit worried about his injury durability. And in that case if he's off the field, a guy like John Ross is still that you know that Z receiver. So I think that the guy looks for a true X, a guy that can take pressure off of Watkins especially in the red zone. Uh, and, and that's what Mike Williams can do. He can go out and get a pass. Uh, he can find and locate, especially in uh, high point, really win those 50-50 balls. And from the standpoint of what Tyron Taylor does well, you know, he's, he's a fairly accurate passer, but he's not the most accurate passer. He's, he's efficient with the deep. You know He's got a big arm. He can move, He can throw the ball you know plenty downfield and deep. And in that case, it's going to take a guy that can win 50-50 balls. Um, while John Ross does have that speed, I think Mike Williams gives you that more red zone threat, and I think that's what Buffalo's got to look for, uh, especially since they didn't get enough of it from Charles Clay and Sidney Watkins last year.
1: Well, I totally agree with Mike here. I do believe that Mike Williams has reemerged. Uh, heavily in discussions as the number one wide receiver off the board in this draft. And when you look at the fit in Buffalo... And, you,
0: is that just because of the fact that p- you think people are... The concern is growing more and more about Corey Davis and his injuries and the fact that he hasn't got to work out and he comes from a smaller school and... With, and there's just a lot of unknowns about Corey the, Davis. And, w- and with unknowns and with uncertainty comes... I mean, just comes... Yeah, we,
1: what do we this. tell you? Every single year, the NFL draft is about the amount of information you have on each of these players. It very, very much comes down to that. And we have a lot of information on Mike Williams. He's run well here. He's erased some of the Laquan Treadwell uh, comps along the way. And just to Mike's point, as far as the fit in Buffalo, look, when you got a Sammy Watkins, like you said, that's already your John Ross. That's already your Corey Davis. They need, and he's always injured, they need a reliable wide receiver in buffalo and mike williams has 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 been the absolute symbol of reliability
0: well he 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 struggled a small bit with drops through through, i believe the end of not this last season but the end of the season before but yes has cleaned that up tremendously i think that he looks like a very defend dependable target big strong hands a guy you can go to in the red zone a guy you can go to in the clutch we saw it over and over and over again with the very clutch quarterback he had in Deshaun Watson there at Clemson. It's been Mike Band with his top 10. will be uh, up at rosterwatch.com along with some other tools over the course of the weekend uh, coming into early next week. Of course, uh, this weekend we'll have tools uh, going up I guess not tools, but, you know, videos going up in the video library, new posts going up there in your download section for our pro members. Uh, if you're not a pro member rosterwatch.com it costs less than a cheap cup of coffee. Unlock all of this content. Support us in all of our maniacal efforts. Uh, make sure, if you like the podcast, give us five stars. Make sure to give us a thumbs up on Stitcher. Leave us a good review. Uh, it helps immensely, and we appreciate you guys doing it. Our, grow- our listenership is growing in such a huge way, and we know that so many of you are listening, we need you to please give us those five stars on iTunes. Like we said, it does make a huge difference. Uh, we have hope you've enjoyed this podcast that we've brought to you here in a vehicle on the way from College Station to Lubbock. Mike Band, before we get out of here, um, your thoughts on uh, I don't, drinking beer with lunch?
2: Ooh, it's got to
0: be on a nice Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> it can't be during the week.
2: And how can I get my analytics?
0: Uh, done? <laughs> That's the way I feel about it. Byron and I were talking about it. Like down here in Texas, it gets hot, dude. And you go in for a big lunch, and you sit down for a lunch, and you drink a beer with it, and you walk back out, man. And that heat hits you. It's automatic, dude. Nap city. Yeah, like the rest of your day. Game up. Yeah, game. Game over. It. Game over. Lunch beer. Exactly. Lunch beers mean mean game over. Game over. It's game over here for the podcast episode. 13 go to rosterwatch.com get a pro membership for byron lambert for mike band my name is alex dunlap we will see you next time